And welcome to Project Canary on today's episode on Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. Crystal and I return um, after uh, we decided to delay our show last night. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided to delay the show because Crystal and I were just, we were just besides ourselves actually when we met to talk about what happened at the presser yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was um, feeling great after the press conference. <clears throat> and I think for me, I just wanted to take some time because I was feeling very, uh, very much in despair, to be honest, after the press conference. Um, I think that despite all the things I have to say about public health, the callousness with which the notification of the death of a child was made genuinely put me in distress I was crying for quite a while after just that the death of a baby was essentially mentioned and then we went on to discussing about vaccines happily so I'm still upset (laughs) I I think part of it is you know for me personally is I have a child who has immune system issues and you know falls into this category of high risk and regardless of whether she meant to say anything by saying they had a pre-existing condition we've talked about this before and that couching a death in that sort of information to me is very disrespectful if you're not going to be following that information with a discussion of how severe the loss was and as someone in the mental health field, it would have been very easy for her to stop and just taken a few minutes to try to bond with the community and let the community know how horrific this is and that they're going to make sure that we stop this from happening again, but they didn't. No, and it was very almost shocking. I think shocking is the word that many journalists tweeted about last night about how she had couched this child's death by saying, oh, but there were pre-existing symptoms. So what does that mean? That means it's okay. That's the same thing people said that when my grandmother died, that it was fine because she was in a long-term care home. Right? Is Is it fine if they have some sort of characteristic? Like what... Again, that brings us back to this concept of social Darwinism that we're not responsible for the people that are vulnerable. And I, I don't believe in that. No. And I refuse to believe in that for Canada. It's so un-Canadian. Those values in themselves of social Darwinism and predatory capitalism is so un-Canadian. And just, just to say oh, there were pre-existing conditions, and let's move on talking about vaccines. I'm sorry, but this isn't about some comorbidity discussion from the Trump well, administration. Just take a moment. Like, yes. Take a moment. It, it, like, she said it, and I couldn't breathe. Like, And it was just like it passed, and they, it was like it never happened. How can we treat the death of a child like that? It was so callous. And I find it shocking that she excuses it that as it's accept an acceptable loss when we have a national health system 
every Canadian pays into our national health system and it and it guarantees that our children and we are taking care of and our and pre-existing conditions and comorbidities shouldn't be an issue. Not in Canada. Mm-hmm. That Trumpian tactic of saying pre-existing conditions and comorbidities is absolute garbage. And let's be clear that when our government says that they are finding their balance, this is what they mean. These are the costs that they're willing to take. Balancing lives and economy means there are acceptable losses to them. It's and they, if, if it wasn't acceptable, they would be doing everything that they could to stop that from happening to another child. But they won't even mandate masks in elementary school. No, and right now right. the hospital has an outbreak. And people can say this child was under two, like it doesn't matter about schools, but a lot of these kids have siblings in schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, regardless of the circumstance of whatever happened with this child, it just, we, we didn't treat, like BC did not respect that death is all I have to say about it. Yeah, it, was, it was upsetting. So we wanted to start by talking about that because I think that all of us have been thinking the same thing about it and we just needed to have an open discussion about how many about how many BC residents are feeling after watching that press conference and just the disappointment with the lack of empathy that was given to the parents that are experiencing the worst thing they've ever experienced and that they likely feel like I do that it was preventable. It's hard to go from there, but in terms of where we are, it's not anywhere good. I mean, we, the numbers today, um, we still have over 9,000 active cases, and then we have almost 14,000 under monitoring. Uh, We have 456 now hospitalized, which is the highest we've been. We have 148 in ICU. We had fewer cases today, so under 900, but I want to be clear that we've seen we've seen across time that they add cases after the fact, sometimes by the hundreds. We've seen that they add cases after the fact, and that will be in the hundreds sometimes. But they also are testing less in the last few days, and that happens over the weekend. So really just watch for what the numbers look like tomorrow and Thursday, and that will be more indicative of what's actually going on. Um, But we just see that it's increasing all across. Even if we've had a small decrease in cases, it's not enough. That's the point. Like, we have these delays in the vaccines. Yes, we'll be getting them in May, but we don't have enough time with how fast the variants are growing. And we do now know that the India variant variant is here. The one Mm -hmm. that we were talking about with the double mutation when they did their press conference and had the modeling and then showed which variants were there, it was on the table that we have at least 39 cases of that. That's scary. The reason that's scary is because that one impacts the vaccine effectiveness a lot more. That's right. It It renders them less effective by a whole lot. That's even with two doses. Right, right. And that's assuming two doses, right? We Mm -hmm. are in this campaign and we just saw them put out the new vaccine thing that will all be vaccinated by now, September 2021. So I don't know what that means for second doses. I 
I don't know what's happening with vaccines. There's a lot of confusion, to be honest, about registering with the government and registering with pharmacies. And some pharmacies are not allowing immunocompromised people to register because it's only AstraZeneca and some places are. Mm-hmm. Some places are already at down to 40-year-olds, which is great. You, it, That sounds like it's in Surrey, which I'm happy about. But then, like, the interior, my mom's 59, and we, like, she hasn't heard from anybody. Like, she's on all the wait lists for all the things, but, like, there's no information. And, like, even when they have had an offering, they had, like, 250 doses for first come, first serve. They canceled it, like, the morning of and then said yeah. they weren't coming. So, like, she went there a couple hours early to try and see if she could just get one. Mm-hmm. And then they weren't doing it. That's insane. I was trying to help my uh, friend register. He's immune compromised. And he went and went to the doctor. He went and got the note and he registered online and he got the code. He got confirmed and then he went online to register. But get this, every location in the lower mainland, there were no dates available. They're mm-hmm. all out of vaccines. Right. So I'm like, what is this? So he jumped through the hoop. He went and got the doctor's note. He went in. He went and saw the doctor. It makes them look busy, right? If they have people registering and getting their info in. And that's what they've been doing is they've been like releasing the registration dates as if that's related to how many vaccines are actually going into arms. But it's really not. Um, So it's hard to tell where we're going to be at in a month, to be honest. We don't know. And the some of the vaccination sites in the Fraser Health region, they're completely doing it like willy-nilly like I know some people who are 40 year olds that live in Coquitlam and they just decided to register because they saw it and they got in and they got vaxxed even with a Pfizer and then I have 50 year old teachers messaging saying where's my invitation to get vaccinated I'm seeing other people getting vaccinated what is going on it's like complete chaos and there's no equity in this it's it's a mad it feels like it's a mad dash it's like you you just survival of the fittest like what about the people who don't have access to the internet or the people with disabilities or who are working three jobs and don't have yeah. time to be staking out 17 pharmacies to try and get a vaccine for their essential job yeah it makes no sense to me that the people who need it the most are not getting it first and well, i think that's are- what they're attempting in this sporty program but Again, if you don't actually distribute it to those jobs or those certain, um, you know, vicinities, the people are just going to jump in there that that aren't thinking about those essential workers. And there's no way to stop that. We've set it up so that the pharmacies can kind of just do what they want. Very much. So disorganized. And now to fix the situation, just like Manitoba, the Manitoba government made a deal with North Dakota government that about 4,000 truckers are going to pass through and get vaccinated into North Dakota. And this is free, you know, free from the U.S. government. And they're just Mm going to go drive through and vax the truckers so commerce can continue. Holy smokes. Like, that's brilliant. But why aren't we taking care of our own Canadians here? Well, like, the the problem is, is they have not stuck to a single plan. They've changed the plan like 17 times. And now that they've done that, we're kind of hooped because we've Oops. not vaccinated anybody enough. <laughs> no, everyone's like half vaxxed. It's all half vaxxed. And, and the, <laughs> I, I just, I cannot. 
mm-hmm. with this, with how disorganized this is when it's an emergency. They're not treating it as, in the way that they should be treating it in, in an orderly and and organized manner. Like I had better expectations of Canada than this. It's oh, my a, my mom is like horrified because she's like a former healthcare worker. She's like on disability. And, like, has no access, like, can't get a straight answer from anybody. It's just, she feels so betrayed by the government. Oh, God. And and how many other people feel the exact same way, right? Yeah. I know. Well, and they're still just talking about summer, right? Like, John Horgan got up there at this press conference, the same pref- press conference where they talked about a baby dying and said that, you know, this... We have five weeks. In five weeks, we'll get there. Says what? Says who? No, no. There's no indication in five weeks we're going to be there. This is what you said a month ago. He's literally causing divisiveness by lying to people. Because that just gives people a reason to fight about it. He's giving those people a reason to say, well, John Horgan said it's five weeks away. You know, like, why give them that argument when we know it's a mess? You're really telling the workers right now that are in those hospitals that we're going to be fine in five weeks? No, they're they're stressed out to the max. There's what's the hospital bed situation look like? We were just discussing this, like the ECMO machines at Sir Memorial. There's a lineup for them. Yeah, and and, and the critical care beds, like when we're into surge beds, surge beds are meant for a short term problem. These yes. are natural disasters that we're supposed to be using them for, like earthquakes, you know, those fires, like big things that happen. But it's not meant for these people to be operating that for 14 months. And the lack of ECMO machines and ECMO technicians and, and you know, just... But doesn't, to... Beds don't matter. It's people. No, it's people. And there's not enough skilled, like nurses to be able to manage the surge and and nurses are burning out like, oh, well and even if they can manage more why would you do that to them exactly that's that's my point is like when we don't manage community transmission when we don't make that our goal we're telling all those frontline workers that they're not a priority because the more community transmission there is the more sick those people are getting they are the ones that are paying the price in those bad working conditions and workplaces that they can't leave because they don't have paid sick leave. They are the ones that are paying the price of this community transmission. Here, uh, Doug Ford is talking about uh, implementing paid sick leave for 10 days in Ontario tomorrow. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it wouldn't be surprising me that BC's on the last of everything, right? Like, we, Ontario put its foot in its mouth about travel restrictions. And then for some reason, Horgan decided to do the same thing. The next day. The next day. I don't understand why we decided that policing without supports was how we were going to do this. But instead of doing this, why didn't we just close the places that were causing the biggest problems and not police people in that way? stop that like open the things we can close the things that are a problem like indoors and give them opportunities for other things but like we are just having the weirdest relationship with the government right now in terms of them gaslighting us like in front of us just for everybody to see there's almost 200,000 children now in Canada that have become sick 200,000 infected with COVID and 10 to 15% develop 
neurotoxicity or other neurological long-term disabilities. That's a lot of kids. And when we talk about the age distribution, I want to put this in perspective because people are always like, oh, the old people get it. 65,000 people over 80 got it. 50,000 people 70 to 79 have it so far in Canada. 91,000 60 to 69. 200,000 kids under 19. Right? Like, it, when you say it's proportional, you need to think about what that means. When it's proportional of a million people getting cases, that's a lot of children. It's going to happen to those kids in the long run. When the, all... only, the only group that is higher than that is the 20 to 29. Right? Like 30 to 39 is 175,000. It's a bigger age bracket. But considering the fact that they said kids don't really spread it and kids don't get infected and all this bullshit, we see that it's the second highest grouping there that they have for the age brackets. You know, even if we account for the proportional stuff, they're still getting it it's just there's huge amounts of children getting it whether it's proportional or not and they still have not closed face-to-face school instruction they still haven't acknowledged that COVID is airborne it's so insane in bc right now like there, mm-hmm. there's it's been so proven there's so much research out there that COVID is airborne that schools are major drivers of transmission like there's research from all around the world now and and switzerland just released something yesterday stating these are all the things we did wrong hey guess what (laughs) bc is literally doing all the things that switzerland pointed out that they did wrong and it's also the same things that Trump did. I don't know that I can overstate this enough. And I used to actually be really uncomfortable comparing BC to Trump because it seems so extreme. It's not. They are literally saying the same things that he said and doing the same things that he said, whether it's, you know, using the infectious period to take people off ICU lists so it minimizes it. And I want to bring that up because when they did the modeling update and they had the graph up that showed us the portion of ICU cases that were essentially out of the infectious period, as soon as January 2021 hit, those numbers started rising vastly and they didn't tell us that. That's right. Right? We knew... We knew the ICUs were getting hit way before they ever said anything to us because there was like 20 to 30 percent cases that were getting taken off. So the ICU numbers were actually higher than we knew. And a lot of us were saying this, but we didn't know how to show that. And now we have these things that are coming out saying, yeah, that like everything we've said has been happening, has been happening. And it is literally the same playbook it really is like the the wanting to not test, not doing asymptomatic testing, the not wanting to use rapid tests until now. They finally put out a statement. They'll use it for workplaces. Again, we're 14 months into this and BC as a whole has only used 21,000 rapid tests. That's we got insane. that number today. They used to only put the tests delivered and the tests deployed. Yes. So all we knew was that those were the tests that had been taken out. But now we know how many of those they used. And they've only used 21,000 of those 368,000 that have been deployed of the 2.8 million. That's disgusting. So where are the rest of the tests go? And we've, we've used just, just even without population accounted for, we've used the fewest number of tests. We've done less than Nova Scotia. Right? We've done less than Saskatchewan. Wow. Oh, I'm sorry. PEI has done less than us. We'll give it that. But we're not even that far ahead of Newfoundland. We only did 5,000 more rapid tests in Newfoundland. 
and they've they've deployed most of their tests unlike us so it's like we it's coming from all sides Mel to be honest like the lying is coming from all sides the gaslighting lack of empathy towards people that are struggling right now the lack of long-term planning because you know we know that there are basic things that could solve a lot of the social problems that are involved in the pandemic basic things such as universal basic income for all people including those on disability so that they're brought up to where everybody else is at and then also ten dollar a day childcare, which they've been promising for how long? Those would lift so many people out of the situations that they're in and give them options. But instead of that, we're making signs at Alberta. Did the other provinces have literally put checkpoints to stop other people traveling into provincially? But BC's grand plan is to put a sign at the we're putting in Alberta. Yes, we're putting signs up just in case because that was. That was going to be the thing that stops them, obviously. But also, it's just we've we've moved on to these really weird. They're trying to make themselves look like they're doing things to deal with what's going on, but they're really trying to do the minimal possible thing to make it look like they're doing things, right? So, it's like this mishmash of the most random crap. Like they've copied Ontario after it was obviously a bad call. We're putting signs by Alberta, but we're not, you know funding the people that need to get off work or doing paid sick leave or any of the actual issues that would deal with these things. That would require them to support people. But did you see the budget they released? Apparently I did not look, I couldn't handle the budget today. So I didn't, I have not. Apparently BC is going to be like 9 billion or something in the red. Okay. um, Someone needs to audit because what the hell happened to Where all did the money that? go? Exactly. What is happening? He's been talking about how awesome our economy is. And like, yeah, so I don't know what's going on with BC because they're also like cutting so much from education again. It's, it's a, it, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And they're, they won't even answer the BCTF in their budget about what's allocated for what. And and it's, they're not addressing the cutbacks. Everything's very secretive and non-transparent. It's, it's very, very disturbing, to say the least. Well, and especially when you use this contextual narrative that we have our own pandemic so that you can try and weave a narrative to make excuses for the way that we're acting, but then you won't actually show in any way how we are different than these other places and there's no reason to expect that we're different in other places again i'm gonna i'm gonna go down to the basic level which i did a couple episodes ago is there any reason to suspect that children in bc schools can't get covid similarly to other children in all other areas of the world no So if all other areas of the world are showing that it's a main driver of transmission, is there any reason to suspect that somehow BC schools have low transmission, like our public health officer likes to say, but there's actually no data for, other than their own data, which they won't give us in raw form to actually show us what's happening? Anyone? Anyone seeing the problem here? Is it just me? Just me? (laughs) You can't just say school transmission is low and not actually give us any information about how and why that's happening. That's if right. it was happening, every other jurisdiction would be following our method. And if it was working, we wouldn't see the numbers that we've seen since full-time school resumed. 
Again, we had 500 kids before the resumption of full-time schooling. We've had 17,000 since. Summer had lots of activities. There's no excuse for what's going on. It's very concerning and disturbing that BCCDC is still insisting that it's just droplets. They're still not acknowledging that aerosols and COVID is airborne. They've diverged from the science, which now there's so much research and a consensus by global scientists that COVID is airborne. They've diverged from the CDC government. They've now diverged from the WHO. And honestly, if they had acknowledged COVID is airborne, it would change a vast amount of things because this is the biggest barrier for essential workers because it means they are not provided with proper PPE to deal with a biohazardous environment. Yep. Like by the definition of WHMIS, Workplace Hazardous Materials Information Systems, what's going on with COVID is a biohazardous environment. So they're not, are they not acknowledging it to protect WorkSafe? Are they not acknowledging it to protect what stakeholders? What what yeah, is it's, happening it's, here? It's, I think it's very clear at this point that there's economic decisions being made. And I don't actually think that they've hidden that. They've said balance for a reason. It's the word that the Great Barrington Declaration likes to throw out all the time, right? It's this individualistic personal rights statement about we have to be personally responsible and there's no community collective that we're responsible for. And I don't accept that. You know, I accept a Canada that I grew up in and that I wanted where we are responsible to one another and we care for one another. And that includes in hard times, not just when it includes the easy times. And we can see that it's something for us to do that will benefit us. It has to include the times when we are all struggling and when those that are less privileged than us need us to stand up for them. It's frustrating that we are still at half measures through and through. The lockdown we keep getting. It's not a real lockdown. It's not a real circuit breaker. Yeah, the circuit breaker's over and it didn't really do anything. If because we're... it's not a real circuit breaker. Right. That's why it's, it's not a real circuit breaker because... She just we... used that word because it sounded like we were doing something, but it's not what a circuit breaker is. No. Let's explain what a circuit breaker is. So a circuit breaker is trying, it's essentially a short-term lockdown to try and minimize the community transmission and drive the cases down so that when you do reopen, you essentially have a lower caseload and it's easier to manage. So if we remember, we started this third wave with 500 cases. So this is where part of our problem was. So a real circuit breaker would look like all non-essential travel. All non-essential travel. All non-essential buildings, all non-essential, everything is shut down. Schools and you stay at home, hybrid. you shelter in yeah. place. You shelter in place, schools would go hybrid, transmissions would go down. It's what we did last last year, essentially, but even more, because we didn't do it fully here in BC. We never fully shut down certain sectors that wouldn't be considered essential in other areas. That's right. And because they still won't acknowledge, you know, aerosol, they're still doing hygiene theater, along with mockdown theater. So we yeah. have mockdown theater hygiene theater and we have testing theater well and we have confusing restrictions which is not helping anybody understand right to see costco's open with 500 people in them but to not be able to go camping or something like the restrictions have made it even more frustrating for people because there's all these hypocrisies within the system that they've created because it's such a mess Right. Because they've just been doing it for whatever suits their fancy versus what is actually beneficial and has any sort of system to it. 
<laughs> what happened to all the phases of moving from when we're in phase three and there's so many infections, we're right. going to when move we were talking to the about of learning, we'll go online. But when we were talking about changed. positivity rate and we were yeah. talking about case count and we were talking about what indicators. But as they've told us, there is no indicator for them to stop. They don't have a line. And we saw that, unfortunately, I think, in that press conference when we saw the death of a child and how they dealt with it, is they don't have a line. That is their line and they're willing to step over it. So how many dead kids are acceptable to be? I want to know that number. Yeah. How, what many, is the how number? many dead children would lead to a lockdown in BC? Do they have a number? If they don't, why not? Is there no ceiling to this? Are they just trying to test to see how far they can push us until there's going to be calls for a general strike? Like what is the intent of what they are doing? What is the end game? Because and they're, they're actively certain... harming the essential workers, right? Yeah. Like they're mentally traumatizing them every day when they go out there and they say how they're concerned for the medical staff that they visited, but then they also don't put beneficial restrictions in that would help those essential workers in a real way, like supports like paid sick leave or like universal basic income or childcare so that we could have a circuit breaker for real, right? Like, because let's be clear. The reason that they're avoiding a lockdown, 100% at this point, is cost. They had to pay for the essential workers' child care when they shut down last year, and it was a vast amount. And they haven't followed through with their $10 a day daycare. So it costs them an incredible amount to put up the money for child care when we do the lockdown. So they are avoiding it at all costs. At least that's my opinion. Okay, so they're avoiding it because it costs money. So you're going to end up with a whole bunch of dead Canadians. And then what? Oh, great. Who's going to come replace us? Are you just mm -hmm. going to open the gates for immigration at the cost of the Canadians you didn't bother to take care of? What is the end game? Well, and they're not thinking long term because all no. these people that are going to have long COVID and be disabled and need help now or all of the workers that weren't, didn't get COVID but got massacred mentally and traumatically through all of these deaths that are going to need lifelong psychological care that we don't cover yet. We are asking too much of these people. We are putting too much on their plate to save us. That's not fair. It's not just. It's incredibly abusive. You're literally setting up your citizens to fail. And then when they fall, you get to shake your finger at them and say, well, you just didn't rise to the occasion. Right. If we're the problem, why is it still happening? That's right. Right. Because you keep saying how most of us are following it and these rules are working. Well, if that's so, why are we in the position we're in? Why did a child die? You know, why did those things happen? Because they refuse to take responsibility for anything that has come out of this. They want to, they want to have notoriety and celebrity you know for what they do right but then when it goes wrong they blame us they don't take responsibility for the fact they are the government they are supposed to be responsible leadership. to us and they're not leading us this is not leadership this you is know leadership is not leadership. trying to yell at us and go after people that are trying to get through this in an attempt to make your point instead of actually supporting them. 
We have no sense of community right now. Nobody feels a sense of community with the government. Everybody is either angry that there's restrictions that they don't understand and they feel like they should be able to do what they like or angry that the restrictions are, again, confusing, but don't actually address where the transmission is coming from. What's that number right now for not knowing the community transmission? Well, this is frightening. So I was checking out the Health Canada stuff today. Um, just like all of the numbers worldwide. Um, so as of the 16th, I believe, 50% of the cases were still unknown where they were from. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is why the State Department and the CDC have issued a travel advisory against Canada. Like, do not enter Canada. Yeah, so what happened today, the CDC has had guidelines, but the State Department and the CDC came together essentially now to re-science the travel advisories that had become, you know, uh, essentially massacred by Trump when he was in office and had the CDC taking stuff off. Um, so they are revamping it so that everything matches. And there's a hundred, there's over a hundred countries now that are on the do not travel, like regardless of vaccination, and Canada is mm-hmm. now on that list as well. Wow. So we're a level four do not travel to for the state departments and the CDC now. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of community transmission and we're not, we're not fully vaccinated, right? A lot of us are only, the people that are vaccinated are still only half vaccinated. And I think Biden's smart enough to realize that if you start transmitting these variants at such a rate, like it's hard to get a get control on it. Right. Like the problem for me now is I don't understand what the government's plan is. We can't just plateau at a thousand cases a day. No. Like, are we going to plateau at a thousand and then you're just going to wait for the vaccine to kick in over the next six months slowly? Is that what we're actually going to do? Cause that seems really poor planning and that we're just allowing a bunch of people to get sick and healthcare workers to burn out instead of just doing a few measures for a few fucking weeks. It's ridiculous because like you have, they, have and they're talking people. about how summer is going to be open again, and then how UBC and SFU and all the universities are welcoming international travelers in September. Are yeah, you I got my insane? I got my email from UBC today about the return to school plan and how Bonnie Henry is, you know, encouraging them and there's optimism because of the vaccine that's they're just using literally the same lines as the government like that whatever they tell them we have optimism we have hope because the vaccine yes of course we do but that doesn't mean that this ended and that's what they were talking about six months ago was that we couldn't get to this place where we stopped dealing with the pandemic just because we had a vaccine because we're gonna fuck ourselves we're gonna have the india variant take over something now and then it's gonna render the vaccine less effective and then we're gonna start to have this take off all over again because they're going to be more we're going to create our own mutation with all these half-vaxxed people well even that or we're just going <laughs> to ship in variants right we're just going to keep mixing in the crappy and mixing, and mixing like you're going to have some crazy mixing variant like it like, just doesn't seem like we have a long-term plan we're like band-aiding things and then hoping for the best with vaccines but we've seen delays we've seen what's happening so i don't understand how this is our plan We don't have a plan from what I understand. What I think is that Bonnie Henry realized that she isn't magical and the things aren't working like she thought. And now she just has no idea what to do because she's so effed us. You know, if she says anything at this point, it comes out against everything that's in her book. It comes out against everything that she said for the last year. And she doesn't want to be the one to take responsibility for that. And neither does Horgan, neither does Dix. 
they should just resign. You know, somebody should have asked John Horgan yesterday when they were talking about that dead child, why he said children don't transmit or why children can't get COVID. If that child can't get COVID, why did they die? I don't think anyone had the (laughs) sense right then to ask that question or definitely not the courage, right? Because they they always, they're afraid of getting banned forever from another presser. Which I get. I do understand this, you know, dependency on the government, but I also think that we get to a point in our morality and our sense of community and our sense of what's right and wrong and that we have to push past that because at some point the government's doing something wrong here. And the whole point of all the psychological studies that we do, whether it's the Milgram experiment, whether it's the prison experiment, is that people bow down to authority. People will just let this happen. And I'm not bringing this up to equate BC with it at all. But what happened in Nazi Germany was a slow transition of this, was people buying into this. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens exactly like this, where people get afraid to talk, people get censored. And we see this new bill coming out about social media censoring. Like, it, at some point, it has, like, and Marcella is my lady, right? Like, for saying what she needed to say in that moment, because it's your responsibility, not even as a journalist anymore, as a human who has that access to ask the questions that need to be asked. That's right. Because none of us have the ability to do that. We have the questions and I'm willing to answer it. So give me the phone if you're not willing to, because I'll ask them every question I have, but nobody will let me near them to ask those questions. That's right. Right. So you have to be our voice. That is your job. Your job is not just to make the government feel better. And again, I get access is about your job, We are in a human rights crisis, and sometimes that means disobeying, right? Civil disobedience is there for a reason. And the reason is usually because the social contract has been violated and broken, which is exactly what this says, what is happening right now. And BC's government is not somehow magically exempt from these power issues. And that's what we have to stop thinking, that somehow we're exempt from these power issues that we saw with Trump, that we see in other places. We are just as susceptible. We're just as susceptible. Foreign interference doesn't stop at the 49th parallel. Social media disinformation wars does not differentiate if there's a 49th parallel right there. Right. Like, like everything that we've seen happen with Cambridge Analytica and now the new revelations with, with Russia and Putin that the mm-hmm. Biden administration is, mm-hmm. is divulging. None yep. of that will stop at the border. Like, no. Canadians need to realize that we are not immune. We think and- we're nice. So that we don't have like international problems or that we're not engaging in these sorts of things. But um, again, that's just the stereotype of Canadians. Remember, like we all have biases, we all have weaknesses, and that includes our political people. And that's what we need to be clear on is that these people that are engaged in these maladaptive, I would say, thought patterns um, in some in some ways or other people that don't just maybe value community in the same way. What was I saying? Now I lost my thought. We're talking about asymmetric warfare and how we're how our politicians aren't immune. Oh, yes, because people often like to say that these individuals are uneducated and that's just not the case. And I keep pushing this with people whenever that that is said, because that 
excuses these individuals in power from being that sort of person and they're not excused from that they they can be biased they can be you know against masks they can be against vaccines and still be in that position because you might not know those views until they get in a situation like this it's like just because someone has a phd just because someone is a government employee just because someone is in a you know business position that pays them billions of dollars does not exempt them from basic psychological biases and we all have eyes we can see clearly they're not working for us right like right they're they're not taking active steps necessarily to save any canadian's life right now right and in and they've stated their goal is to take the minimum amount of steps while balancing and i'll be clear again this is their balance this is what they are accepting they're not changing because this is their plan, right? We have to stop thinking that just because we think that there should be measures that that's their plan. We think we're pushing for more measures because they're almost about to do that. They're not almost about to do that, right? Like people were messaging me before the press were like thinking something was going to change. And I said, I don't, like nothing's going to change. This was their goal. And it's hard to imagine that their goal includes the death of a child or the death of people that we know, but this is acceptable loss in their model. That's right. When they tell you who they are the first time, believe it. Yeah. Every time they've said balance, this is what they meant. A dead kid's okay. That's an acceptable loss. And it will include more children if it gets to that position because... That's their balance. That This is what I'm trying to say is this is okay to them, right? right? If it wasn't, they would have come out there and said, wow, you know, like we need to change what we're doing. This is going wrong. This never should have happened. That poor family, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't. They came out and said, things are tough. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But that, well, just, what they were doing led to the death of that child. So they're okay with that, right? That's like. Right. You can't just accept one part and not the other because the means led to that end. That's right. And it's that cognitive dissonance that Canadians are having, whether it's Canadian exceptionalism or naivete, whatever you want to call it. When they show you who they are the first time, believe it. Do not think, oh, they'll change their mind. Oh, they're going to work to protect us. No, the measures that they're taking to protect us now, this is it. This is all we're getting, guys. The only reason it will change is because we make them. And we've seen that. The only things that have changed is because the community has gotten an uprising about certain things, whether it be teachers or whether it be vaccines. And then they've responded, you know, like, but if they didn't have to respond to us and have these press conferences, they likely wouldn't be changing anything at all. They're just giving these minimal amounts of change to make us feel like they're doing something. Well, they just sit back and let this happen. Right. Our hospitals are overwhelmed and they didn't make any discernible changes that will help the essential health care workers in the next three weeks while these hospitals continue to be overwhelmed. How does the travel advisory help the essential workers for the next three weeks? How? It doesn't. How does it stopping people in the roads that are probably going to be black, indigenous or people of color individuals? How does that help those essential workers? It doesn't. Right. Universal basic income. Yeah. Universal does- basic income would help them. Paid sick yes. leave would help them. Child care would help them. A government that gave a shit about their lungs and wanted to give them N95s and the proper masks would help them. But they aren't doing any of those things. They're like, hey, look over here. 
hey, look over here. AstraZeneca for 40 plus. Hey, look over here. Right? Like this vaccine stuff is literally their distraction every time. Their cookie. It's their cookie. Here's a cookie. Yeah. Stop, stop, go over there, go over there. Like they're you guys are like completely ignoring the fact that they have silenced our health workers. Ontario has done the same and nurses are striking. And now, mm-hmm. you know, they're speaking out in Ontario more than they are in BC. Oh yes, Everything and we and we know that that healthcare workers are being threatened, you know, for speaking out on social media or essentially saying things that won't support the public health response, which is insane. Sorry, but when we're literally in a pandemic and the difference could be between their life or death and speaking out about situations, hell no. Like, you don't get to be up there on your pulpit where you're nowhere near the front lines, where you're nowhere near anybody that's affected, and tell us that you're not going to hear their stories. They basically are telling all essential workers and their families, you know what? We want your labor, but we don't value your life. And you're going to shut up about it. You're expendable. You're expendable. And you're going to shut up about it. Yeah. Don't complain. Don't complain. Because at least you have a job. Die quietly. Be grateful. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, Horgan and Henry are vaccinated at least. They're not anywhere near these hot spots. They are protected. They're not even having press conferences outside, even though they say outside is safe and they're vaccinated. <laughs> Why is that, guys? I, I mean, the, the answer is obvious. They don't want to answer real questions. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's too obvious what is going on at this point. It's, it's painful. I mean, look what he did to all the old growth. It's basically equivalent to the Californian uh, avenue of giants of all the grand sequoia trees. And they basically cut them all down on the island. It's all gone. The last of the old growth that was here long before George, yep. George Vancouver discovered the lower mainland and decided to, you know, take over land that doesn't belong to him but like the trees have been there that long and i just have to like put out the absurdity of it that this is the ndp government doing this let's start and talk about the fact that again i was raised for 30 years hearing about the ndp being progressive and that it was going to be you know the socialist system that helped us and got the people and helped them lift them up and i wanted to be part of that right and it has been such a disillusioning experience with this NDP and Horgan at the helm of it of just disgust in my mother's the same, right? She's been an NDP voter her entire life mm-hmm. and she's disgusted. She will never vote for them again. Jack Layton is turning in his grave. Absolutely. Yes. He's, I mean, Horgan should be ashamed. Tommy Douglas is turning in his grave. This is ridiculous what they're doing to this party. Like, I don't even know if I can vote for the federal party. Because, like, look what you Where's guys are Jake doing. Where's Jake Me? Where's Jake Me? Yeah. Because last I checked, he's from BC. And well, he's no, talking he has, about... He has a rental in Burnaby for his riding. He's supposed to be an MP in Burnaby. And he's not tweeting anything about... He's saying he's, he's talking, talking about, about Ontario. Ontario. I know. It's like, dude, what about your riding in BC? Uh, hello? We're on fire uh, over here, but thank you. Yeah. Like, are you not going to, like, check on your boy here, Horgan? Like, what's what's up with you? You say you're some tough MMA fighter? Like, come on, man. Stand up to him. Oh, but they're all chummy, right? 
even after the site seizing, like how is that standing up for the federal guidelines of the NDP with what Horgan is doing right now? Like it's, it's just all weird. It's all, it's like theater. we're in an theater. apocalypse of just disaster and it's uh, this authoritarian meltdown of the NDP and it's just, it's a disaster in the making. So at least we're recording it for the future, but it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think anymore. It's all theater. Yeah. Oppos- there's no opposition. The BC Liberals have been silent this whole like, fucking time. This is so... It, this has impacted people, all people, on not all people, most people, on uh, so many levels. And they just don't treat it that way. They just treat it so cavalierly when they talk about it. And, and that that the balance is the offset and all these things. And as like an immunocompromised person, as you are as well, like to hear every day for 400 days that my life literally is worth the price is painful. Right. To be told that I'm worth the balance of dying to hear that people are up there, but they say pre-existing conditions, because you know what I think I think about when I die of COVID, how I'll just be a number that gets excused with pre-existing conditions, even though what I am is a 32-year-old mother with a four-year-old and a 16-year-old that is just about to finish my PhD. I want to help the world. I'm going to do that. But nobody knows that. I'll just be a number that died of a pre-existing condition related to COVID. That sucks. You know, that's hard to take in from humanity every day for 400 days. And I'm sure you feel the same. It's dehumanizing. It's isolating. It's ableist. It's ableist. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm afraid of of dying of COVID with my pre existing condition and orphaning my son, my five year old. And we saw that, that dad of two just died. Yeah. Right? Does that make it less because he had a pre existing condition? Like, that health privilege is, we have to address that. It's just, we don't, we we talk about health as if it's this status that an individual can reach or not reach themselves, but there are so many social determinants of health, right? Like, there are so many places that live in a food desert in some places or don't have access to fresh groceries or don't have the money to fresh groceries that don't have access to doctors that, you know, just all of these reasons that they might not be in good health or they were just born with a condition that they didn't ask for, right? And how do, how is it that we are willing to punish those people and say, look out for yourselves when we wouldn't do that with any other thing, right? It, it To say, like, you're immune compromised, so too bad. Too bad. Sink or swim, you can't, you can't tread water like the rest of us. You know, and these are these are people all over, right? Like these are are people from low SES to high SES, all races, all genders that are going to be affected by it. And we are going to lose important thoughts, important thinkers, important people, important children that we're going to make a difference in the world. And we've already lost over 1500 of them. In BC. Right? In BC, other places have not. And that that's why I say, like, when people get this attitude of, like, why would we change or why would we do it different? Why wouldn't we? We've seen it be successful. And we don't even have to look farther than our own country 
Atlantic Canada is doing way fucking better than us, and they've killed a lot less people. They're protecting their citizens. Yeah. They've managed it. Grow the fuck up and do your job. Right? Like, you can't tell us that we can't do anything different while we're fucking staring at the other side of the country going, well, I guess I picked the wrong side to live on. Yeah. Just, it's just luck of the draw. Darn me. That's how people feel, though, right? Like, we have families that are separated across this country that are terrified for each other because they have, like, family in Nova Scotia that's calling over here. Like, I don't understand how you are forced to go into work if you're a teacher right now with, like, no masks on children and no sick paid leave and no sort of restrictions. And they're like, how are we living in the same country right now? I don't know that we have any suggestions for this week. I think we're just going to be waiting to see what happens with the next press conference. And that's just a lot for everybody to think about and consider as we move forward, because I don't think we're going to be out of this in five weeks, like John Horgan thinks. And we really need to figure out the ways that we can build community because the government is not going to save us from this. No. And I, honestly don't think we're going to be out of this in five weeks and i am very skeptical <laughs> of everything I being hunky dory by they, september <laughs> it's not a great track record around here in terms of their promises so you yeah. know i just hope that we don't continue to see more children die but also just more canadians die because again every death for me is preventable at this point and it has been for months we have 23.5 thousand Canadians dead right now mm-hmm. from something completely preventable. And a something... huge portion of them are coming in the second half. Yes. In the second half when we've already seen the lessons and we've already learned these things, right? And BC has chosen to once again do what they did last year, which was not follow the science of other countries that were hit before them by the variants. And just choose to ignore the basic science that came out of those places in the same way that they did last year. So we will end up in a poor situation because of this. And this is not even including the excess deaths and all those things that we haven't accounted for yet. Yeah. And we don't, no one knows the real numbers right now. Well, and they're extending the FOIs for that. They've been one of my uh, group members that put in a request for the excess death numbers uh, was denied the request for another time period because of the pandemic. So another wow. two months it got denied. Wow. So cook the books. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we need time to cook the books. Request denied. Yeah, well, and and again, like I was using the stats from BCCDC and I'm now banned from the government streams on Facebook. I can't comment, so... They didn't like that I gave the stat that the 532 children got sick before school and there's been 17,000 since. That's what got me banned from their uh, press conference comments. They can't ban your alt accounts. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm still going to come there and give them information and then I just had everybody else face it. So, I mean, I have lots of ways around it. They're not going to get at me that way, but it's it's disturbing to me. That they are deleting their own numbers from their comments because they don't like the way that it was framed and it doesn't match their narrative. Isn't that scary? They, they fear any type of challenge and dissent or, or truth. Like, it, it's like, what? who do you work for, guys? Not us. And they've shown that, right? Like, 
they don't they're they don't work for me anyway as an immunocompromised person with NBC. You know, they're not representing me and they very clearly said they don't actually care what happens to me. So um, I personally kind of have to do whatever I can to survive at this point, which I get like some people don't understand because they're not they're not they have health privilege. Essentially, they've never had to worry about going somewhere and catching something. Whereas I have to be careful even before this about where I go, because when I get sick, I get sick for months because of my immune system. So it's something that a lot of people don't understand right now that it's we're being treated as a different group as a different community essentially that's not worth taking care for because we're a burden to the taxpayers i assume and we don't contribute as much gdp i mean one thing they did pass real quick for legislation is the maid act which allows you know people with disabilities to commit suicide with assistance without you know so they don't give you the tools and the supports to survive social Darwinism, but they give you permission to off yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be against anybody getting the right over themselves. That's good. Um, but I agree in terms of the, they don't do anything to improve yeah. the lives of those that are living with these disabilities. Um, and including the fact that dis- the, the rates for disability are still so grossly low compared yeah, to the inflation that we've seen in British Columbia, that asking, asking someone to live on that, that already has high needs is cool. counterproductive cool. because when you have high needs, you already have way more costs than everybody else. Right. Like you have to pay for way more medication. You're buying more equipment and a lot of stuff isn't covered. And a lot of times they're misdiagnosing you for a long time and you're trying all these sorts of medications and all these sorts of treatments. And it takes years before you even get diagnosed. And so you're paying for all those things in the meantime, you know, Mm -hmm. like even something as basic as even though we were not financially well off because my son had these immune system issues and allergies, we had to drive to Surrey from Kelowna every four weeks for a year. That's a long trip and it's a lot of money for gas and like, but we had to do it for our son, but none of that was covered, right? Like we could claim Mm -hmm. it on taxes, a portion of it, but only if we could prove that he needed the appointment and that it wasn't elective. And then they had to rate whether it was elective what we were doing because it was oral immunotherapy and it's not necessarily accepted by all doctors and whether they were going to accept the costs, right? Like, so we put out like $5,000 in travel costs that are just, those are just things we think. Wow. Your story is not unique. There's so many families. And I'm privileged. Yeah, there's so many families that have to pay out of pocket. I'm someone that has access to care through my husband's work. And we have the financial ability to have extended care. And we have access to a vehicle. And we have access to all those things, right? Like that's coming from a position of privilege. And it's still severely financially Um, hurt us for a long time like you know having trouble buying groceries hurt us the government didn't care about that talking about governments that didn't care did you see christy clark's Hmm. testimony today the Cullen commission i didn't i i have kept off everything today just because it has been so you know she claimed she had no clue that money laundering was happening and now Bob Mackin and I did Sam see that. Cooper. And the, Sam Cooper. The money laundering like, has ratioing her. <laughs> There's so much ratioing happening on Twitter right now because they're like calling her out. It's just 
Uh, it was an interesting statement. Yes, I do remember that actually. That she said it. The money laundering is unrelated. I'm like, what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> what do you mean? But that shows you how long and how broken BC has been, right? Yeah. Like what she was doing in that government. Nothing has is not diverged from what John Horgan is doing with this BC NDP, and and the cutbacks and clawing yeah. back of for everything. Yeah. All the social safety nets, like the budget was pathetic. They're, they what they gave an extra hundred and seventy five dollars for people with disabilities. Business oriented, it's a business oriented budget, right? It's yeah. we're we're back to this place where the social construct of made up money is what is the factor right now that is allowing people to live or die. Again, as always, we have failed as a society in BC. You know, with the death of a child, I just don't have anything else to say because I've spent six months telling them that we needed to do something different so that a child didn't die. And then to hear them say that so callously was like, you know, we have failed and we need to do better. They added another layer of protection for themselves, for liability, by, by opening vaccines for 40 plus adults. Parents. Who are desperate to get it. Those are parents. Yes. So, so if a child dies from getting infected, they can actually now turn it around and say, well, did you go and get vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Did you get and vaccinated? And there's, not, a, there's not even enough vaccines. But That's right. That's right. And, and, and that's, you know, yeah. It's just like to vaccinate the parent age without specifying that many jurisdictions across Canada have been doing that for the specific reason that it's school transmission based and to vaccinate parent age to reduce that transmission. It's kind of silly not to mention that because that's the reason why it's been happening all across the world. That's right. But they're doing it, but not saying it again, it's vaccine theater. It's (laughs) vaccine theater because turn around and take onus and put it on the parents and say, Mm -hmm. well, you didn't do your due diligence by getting vaccinated in a system that, you know, where it was a mad grab and there's not enough vaccines. And Well, and when they take it, the responsibility off themselves, like they've been doing and put it all on vaccines, right? They just throw their hands up. They they said for months that the plan, this vaccine plan was the solution and how great it was going to be. And then, you know, two weeks in, we're not getting vaccines and they throw their hands up. They're like, oh, who could have known? Vaccines are so hard to get our hands on. Like, what's going on? Oh, my. And it's like, we were literally yelling this at you for the last six months. I know. But register, register online. So, oh, you know, there's new registration dates for 18. Wait, you could always register. Did you know that? Did you know that? Because they're just re-announcing <laughs> the registration dates. So it's just they're making up things to make themselves look busy when we have two conferences a week and they can't even give us actual information. It's just BC is going down hard. We're going down hard right now. Yeah. It's just, it's going to get uglier. Yeah. Real and bad. The hospitals Real are going to get, the, uh, the hospitals are going to be ugly in the next two weeks. They're going to be nasty. And I hope that everybody that can stay safe and the workers that are there, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry for what you're going to experience. And I hope that we get the resources that you need after the fact, you know, do, do remember there's the crisis line if you're at that point, And I'm just sorry. At what point do you think that the public is going to realize this and the switch is going to flip and there's going to be real public pressure on this government? Like at what school, point do you think? Maybe a school age child. Or a number a, of them. Yeah. Or yeah. When it becomes a pattern. 
that they're still balancing these things, right? Because I think a lot of people were genuinely shocked yesterday by Bonnie Henry's response to the death. I saw a lot of people being like, uh... Yeah, people who were fans are no longer fans. I know that. At least lost a little bit of their respect in terms of the management of it. Because, again, from a... I don't know, just human perspective. You should have just taken a few minutes, right? You gave the... You gave more information by saying they had a pre-existing condition and then didn't even humanize them. You dehumanized them with that. That's literally what that did. Was you said they died, here's the reason why, and then didn't humanize them in any way. You dehumanized the person with the disability as the reason. So you've dehumanized... The entire class of people with pre-existing conditions right. or disabilities. Because what could have been a statement there is, sure, you could have said that. And then you could have said, this is the example of why it's so important that we're doing what we're doing. That we manage community transmission because these are the vulnerable people that get hit and this is unacceptable. Right? It, 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 it could have, she, could, she didn't have to give any additional information for that. No. But she chose it to do it this way. I'm sorry, doesn't she have spin doctors? I I don't know what happened with that. I saw her stare at Adrian a few times, like, and and she was just, like, snarky, to be honest. Like, when Marcella asked her that question, like, there was no empathy. She was just snarky. Wow. Like, how dare you ask me a question? Wow. And then the trolls that came after her. Mm. After on social media? On Marcella, yeah. They're like, how dare you question her? You should be great, grateful. Right? Not she called con- you at all. At and all. again, I ask you in that circumstance, if you are finding yourself getting upset with people for questioning Bonnie Henry about these things, consider the perspective that maybe we should be asking why there's a baby dying instead of worrying about how someone is asking that question. That would be my best piece of advice to those people is that we really need to stop telling people who are in those lived experiences how to tell us about those experiences and just start fucking listening. That's all I have to say. I think with that we are going to end. We will come back in a week. Uh, we will be talking about what's going on because I think we're going to hear a lot about what's happening on English Bay tonight. This is oh, the yeah. 420 celebration at English Bay right now. And I'm yeah, showing there's barely any VPD, unlike when there's indigenous pipeline protesters. But like the beach where's is the VPD packed. then? Yeah. Well, they're arrest. They're busy. They're busy arresting the protesters at Ferry Creek right now. Fuck. Right. They're, they're, the people who are trying to save our, our giants are being arrested right now. So yeah. instead of, yeah. you know, dispersing our police forces and crime fighters where it's needed, like money laundering, and- organized crime, you know. I always ask myself is if that was a gathering of indigenous black or people of color, what would the reaction be? Cause I doubt it would be that. That's right. We would see people getting dragged out of there. So we have you know. a libertarian left leaning, uh, Horgan, right? He's just <laughs> like, do whatever you want. Left <laughs> is just a word. Let's remember left that. Folks. Word. He's, 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 he's libertarian. 
He's basically saying, you do whatever you want. People are dying. The NDP is essentially libertarian at this point, which is horrifying. It is horrifying. Horrifying that they've literally, they seem to be following libertarian ideals because it's like the opposite of what they are supposed to be doing. It's, it's, yeah, uh, it, they're just, they're making a mess of our province and it's going to impact us for years to come, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm scared to see what the ICU numbers are going to be like in the next week. I think Thursday it's not going to be a good day for the hospital numbers. I mean, they're probably going to play down cases if they can, but we'll see what they are. But again, the hospital numbers, if they don't start to decrease, you know, in the next week or two, the circuit breaker is not helping with the variants in the hospitals, right? It's And this yeah. is what we people are not understanding is that the variants did not act the same way as normal COVID. And I tried to say this like six episodes ago that the pandemic, once the variants hit, just continued for months. They couldn't get a hold of the hospitals. So it, I just don't want to see that here. And I'm worried about where we're going. We're, we're two weeks away from Ontario, maybe a week and a half from where Ontario is right now with death panels. Yeah. And they're, they're choosing it. Is it randomly? Who's going to survive? Who's so if the, if the two people have equal probability mm-hmm. of surviving, then they use a random number generator on the internet. Wow. Yeah. And that's how they decide if you're going to live or die. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to humanize these things and talk about why the impacts matter. And, and maybe I'll end with that is that, when we talk about why healthcare capacity matters, I will give a personal explanation of that. Um, so my grandmother died in long-term care in December, and my grandfather has been struggling with heart issues since she died. Um, I believe probably brought on by all of the stress, clearly, that came after that and being separated mm-hmm. for her by a year. Um, and his heart is failing. So... We are waiting to get an appointment with a cardiologist, but we don't know when that's going to happen because he lives in a small town in the interior and everything is backed up and people are being redeployed. So we don't know when we'll see that. And even if he does see the cardiologist and they recommend surgery, do you know what's not happening in the Okanagan right now? Surgeries. Surgeries. Yeah. Right. So my grandfather can't get a surgery even if he needs it. And if he has a heart attack and his heart fails, and he goes to the hospital, he will be one of the last people on that list for saving because of his age, because of his pre-existing conditions. He will be sat there to die. And I'm not okay with that. And in no no circumstances will I ever be okay with any Canadian being put in that position. No Canadian should be okay with this. Like, you guys are going to see the effects of this in two weeks very clearly. I don't, I don't know if Canadians are really going to understand how much this is going to cost us until it's too late. Well, and they can't even see that it's happening right now, right? Like, even if yeah. the case numbers go down, this hospital trend is going to continue for the next three weeks until it starts to go down. And we have we've traumatized a large portion of our medical staff. Yeah. And we also told them that we don't care. Right, because we let that happen. We let it happen. And and education staff are also traumatized. Absolutely. Let's, let's be very clear. Every and frontline they, worker. They've been treated, 
all the education workers have been treated the same way, right? Yeah. And the essential workers in plant and all of the places that are essential workers, they have been treated and told that they are expendable, even if they're in the worst circumstances and that's why they need their job, that they are required to do this, right? That their life ultimately does not matter in the context of our society. And that is the opposite of what my society wants to mean. That's unacceptable. That's not what we teach our children about what society means. This is not the lessons we teach our young of the type of human we want them to grow into. So why are we accepting this from our own government? This minimization and trivialization of human life. Yeah, and we, again, we don't accept it and we won't and we're going to keep pushing it. So I have my hands in a few pots right now for a few groups about COVID zero and we're going to be looking at doing a few things in the coming weeks. Um, Yeah. And then we just keep on, we keep on with what we're doing and Mel and I are looking at the paperwork for the nonprofit and I'm getting Kathy and Andrea's bios ready right now. So we are just going to keep pushing and it's going to be COVID and then it's going to be something else I'm sure because this government doesn't stop giving. Um, and we will continue to try and build community that wants to see the truth from this government. So please come join us. Reach out. Message us. Tweet at us. We're very accessible. <laughs> yes. And, and we're inclusive. If you want to help, we'll be like, yes, we'd love yeah. to have you. We'd love to have you on board. So Absolutely. Yeah, and the more voices, the better, right? Like, I would prefer to have individuals that are Indigenous or have disabilities or have other intersectional factors that can help us understand what Canada needs to look like and how we can get there because we only have so many perspectives that we have as well. So it's always important to me to open it up to other voices to tell me what we're missing because I can't account for everything in my own eyes because I've only experienced so much. That's a wonderful way of putting it. Thank you for joining us tonight on Project Canary. And with that, I think we are going to sign off.